0: Well good morning. It's a uh, real joy and privilege to be here. It's been a while since I've been able to be present. Last time I was able to be here I was stopping in on the way back from Nebraska where I performed a wedding so I just drove through from uh, where we spent the night. Anyway, it was sweet to be able to drop in then and uh, it's a it's a real delight to be able to be here this morning to be able to serve you instead of to be served by you. I do have one announcement to make, which is uh, exciting. Um, we made a change. Look at this. This is fancy. I can put my cup in cup holder. That, I don't have to worry about knocking it off. <clears throat> one... Uh, One thing that is kind of weird about having a session of elders that aren't in the same church as you, and Lord willing, God will raise up elders to serve from this church, and I won't have any work to do for you anymore except to be a brother in the faith and part of the same presbytery, but until that time, I am very privileged to be able to serve you. But one of the weird things about it is that sometimes the elders make decisions about the church, and then it's like, well, I guess we can't announce them because we're not there. So we, we delayed an announcement because we knew I was coming, and that announcement is that the church is now paying the salary of Nathan Alberson, and he does so much work… This is appropriate, and we're very thankful for his work, and we're thankful that we can begin to pay him, and uh, we pray that God will continue to provide financially for the church to meet the needs of this body through both the financial provision that's necessary and also the, the people that have to get paid, because uh, money on its own is nothing. It's just a means to an end, and so thank you, Nathan, for your work for years, for Christ's kingdom, and for this church. I preached this sermon for the first time at the end of July, and so my kids just heard it, so sorry. I didn't tell you guys till now. Uh, And the first time that I preached it, uh, afterwards I had several people complain about the sermon, So, um, I don't know. I thought it was good. We're going to try again. I'm going to keep it shorter this time. That was one of the things they complained about. But they also said it was very repetitive. And I don't know. I thought that was what you were supposed to do when you were public speaking. Repeat your points so that everybody gets it. But maybe there were people who just didn't need to hear it. And they were like, yeah, I get it. Come on, I get it. I don't know. Maybe it was people who really needed to hear it and were kind of... Like, hey, do you really have to drive the point home so many times? I don't know. But this is a sermon about Mary and Martha. And if you're anything like me, Mary and Martha has always been a confusing little passage. There's only a few verses necessary to get this story from Luke 10, 38 through 42. We're going to start by reading that. And uh, I'm used to the NAS 95, so that's what I'm reading from. I don't know what's going to be up there, but bear with me with this translation. Luke 10, 38 through 42. Now, as they were traveling along, he, Jesus, entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister called Mary, who was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations, and she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part which shall not be taken away from her. Well, let me walk through this text with you quickly and then slowly, okay? the quick overview is verse 38. We've got Jesus traveling with some of his disciples and Martha practices wonderful hospitality, welcoming him and them, presumably, into her home. Then in verse 39... Martha's sister Mary sits and listens to Jesus at his feet. So far, this is a beautiful picture, right? I mean, you couldn't ask ask for a nicer picture until verse 40. Martha, who is distracted and worried and bothered by her serving, appeals to Jesus to correct Mary's laziness and selfishness and instruct her to help out. And then in verses 41 and 42, we've got Jesus correcting Martha's distraction and reminding her of what is important. Jesus commends Mary, refusing to correct her. So it's a simple story. We've read it and we've, we've, we've gone over it. The question is, what does it mean for us? You've probably read the story before. You've probably heard... Uh, sermons about it. <clears throat> and I want to start with the fact that Jesus corrects Martha. Jesus corrects Martha, indirectly comparing her to Mary. What is the contrast between Mary and Martha? That's, it, it, that's implicitly, there's this contrast going on. You've got Mary and Martha, and who are you supposed to be like? You know at the end of the story you're supposed to be like Mary and not like Martha, right? Right? We, we know that Martha's I'm the the like oh, it's kind of an insult. She's kind of being a Martha. If you've ever, I mean in the Christian culture, it's this little it's this little kind of uh, you know what not I was going to say humble brag, but no. It's the op, what's what's the uh, you know the uh, sly kind of insult. That's so being a Martha is like she's serving, but you know you know what I'm saying, right? Well, here's the, here's the problem. This is where we get confused because we all know that if nobody works, nothing will happen, right? And so there's this question, well, what what are we supposed to make of the fact that Mary's the good one and Martha's the bad one in the story? If, if everyone was like Mary, nothing would get done. We're supposed to like sort of balance, what we really need to do is probably balance some, some Martha and some Mary together, right? But the, but the text doesn't leave us really with that option. It's like, no, Martha has made a mistake. Mary is the correct one. And, it, and Mary doesn't need to be more Martha-ish, right? There's nothing like that in this, in this story. You don't get that. So if Jesus has corrected Martha, contrast Mary and Martha, what is the problem with Martha? And here's the thing. It cannot be that practicing hospitality is the worst. That can't be what you get from this story, right? We know that. That's part of what we get confused by this passage. It can't be that practicing hospitality is the problem. Or even that relaxing and contemplating are better. It's not about relaxation. It's not about contemplation. And that's one of the things that I think people like to take away from this story is sort of this like, well, you know, I've, been, I've got so much work to do, but what I really want to do is go to the coffee shop and relax. So I'm going to bring my Bible and it's going to be holy. And I will be like Mary and not like Martha, right? No, we're not, we're not going to be able to end up there either. So we have, I think generally, we're, we're quick to judge Martha for the wrong things and we're quick to praise Mary for the wrong things. But if Martha didn't practice hospitality, let's start there. If Martha didn't practice hospitality, Mary wouldn't have the option to do what she's doing, right? That's where we, again, we run into the trouble of like, uh, but if nobody works, then what happens? So that's obvious. The text is not condemning Martha for her hospitality. Actually, uh, it's, If if we were to stop at verse 39, now as they were traveling along, he entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister called Mary who was seated at the Lord's feet listening to his word. If you just stop there, you're like, wow, that is an awesome picture, isn't it? Mary seated at the Lord's feet, Martha welcoming him into her home. Wouldn't you want to be able to do that? Wouldn't you want to be able to have Jesus into your home? Wouldn't you want to be able to serve Him that way? In Matthew 25, 45, those who refuse to take in strangers are condemned by Jesus. He says, truly I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. He's talking about inviting strangers into your home. So if you today practice hospitality to strangers, invite strangers into your home, Jesus says you're doing it to him. So you actually can be like Martha in the best sense of the word by inviting strangers into your home and Jesus promises you blessing for doing that and he actually, in in the context, he's condemning those who refuse to do it. So if he condemns you and me for refusing to have strangers into our homes because that's refusing to do it to him, clearly Martha is not being condemned for having Jesus into her home in the flesh, right? That's not what's going on in this passage. Martha was required to take Jesus in. This was holy. This was beautiful. It was a glorious thing. If we think about living back then and all the things that we could do to interact with Jesus, oftentimes we think, well, you know, it would be, it'd be awesome to be there for the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, right? Or you, to, to see the signs and the wonders. We, we may be thinking, but, but if you could be one of the people that just got to be part of his crowd, part of his group, his in-group, Mary and Martha were his friends, remember? How cool would that be to be able, as he's traveling by, oh, you can stay with us, Jesus. Martha gets to do that. And so we must honor Martha for her hospitality. And yet Martha clearly gets something wrong. She approaches Jesus. She's positive that she's in the right. She's sure that she's right about this. Okay, She approaches Jesus. And why is she sure as she's, as she's about to come to Jesus and say, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. Okay, <clears throat> why is she sure that she's in the right? Because she knows what we were just reminded of about the, ho- the importance of hospitality, right? She knows that hospitality is important, so she comes to Jesus confident that she's, she's got it down. She knows what's going on. Also, Because she apparently thinks Mary is being lazy and rude and selfish, unlike herself. And let's start by acknowledging that many are selfish and lazy. Many of us are selfish and lazy, right? And so Martha isn't going to be far off the mark, generally speaking, to assume that somebody who is not working might just be being lazy and selfish. Or maybe not lazy, but so self-centered that you don't even notice that there's work that needs to be done that other people are do, having to do. Right? This is the way that I am lazy and selfish, generally in an unintentional sort of way. Which I don't know—is it worse or better to be unintentionally lazy and selfish? Like, it, at least if I see the, if, at least if I see there's work to be done, and I'm like, okay, yeah, mm, not right now at least there's a chance that I could decide to do it, right? But if I don't even notice, yikes, right? Single men, you're the worst. I'm just, it, after about 20 years of marriage, you might get to the point where you begin, ah, that's work. <laughs> it, it's, I don't know. There's just something about us. We, we tend to be that way. Now, Martha's sure. And people are so often this way that there's a reason she's positive. She knows what's going on. And probably Mary was a sinner. I mean, and sisters, you know, they can, they can butt heads, right? And so there's a lot that could be wrapped up in this. Um. But, but stop for a second. Martha rebukes Jesus. Just let that sink in for a minute. Did you, did you notice that while we were reading it? The way that Martha talks to Jesus? Yikes. Lord, don't you care? She's attributing to Jesus... The same sort of selfishness and laziness that a wife attributes to her husband when nobody's doing, don't you care that the dishes are not being done and that I'm going to have to do them in the morning? Don't you care that I'm having to do all the work and the children are running around like chickens with their heads cut off? Don't you care? Don't you notice? Then tell her to help me. This is Martha speaking to Jesus Christ our Lord tell her to help me can you imagine she is really sure she's right isn't she but something has clearly gone wrong when we're rebuking jesus something has clearly gone wrong when we're having to correct him and think that he's a normal man ignorant not paying attention lazy selfish himself oh boy Think of the hubris. She's in the presence of her Lord. And she thinks he's a typical clueless man, not noticing what needs to be done. Yep. We've got a problem. Okay, but again, can we acknowledge that many men are this way? No, we, we have to acknowledge that, right? If she's used to dealing with men who are clueless, and correcting them, okay. Now let's pause for a second, right, right there. If this is a normal thing, that men are clueless, uh, how many women assume the same thing about their own husbands and as Sarah called her husband Lord, their own husband and Lord, and are just as wrong as Martha. Now that's an eye-opening thought. Have any of you wives ever seen your husband doing what appears to be the same thing that Jesus is doing, ignoring what needs to be done, and been wrong? I know you've been right. We'll just let that one to the side for a second. Have you ever been wrong? That's, that's an interesting thought because it begins to get us deeper into what has, what has gone wrong. Why is Martha so wrong? Have any of you women ever, what I, what I like to say about Martha is that she's lost the plot. She's, she's lost the plot. Have, have any of you, and of course this goes for you men too, right? Have you ever been in a situation where you've lost the plot the main point, the big picture, and you are distracted by something you shouldn't be distracted by. And it prevents you from keeping everything in focus. We can talk about missing the forest for the trees, right? Martha has lost the plot, and Jesus and Mary have retained it. They know what's going on. Martha has lost it. Sometimes your husband has kept the plot, and that's actually what's going on. Just remember that and ask yourself before you go up to your husband, your Lord, and say, Do you not care that I am being left alone to do all of the work? Ask yourself, now wait a minute, have I lost the plot? Sometimes they have remembered the one thing. Leave the dishes alone and come in here. Husbands, have you ever seen the plot and then been too scared to remind your wife of the plot? (laughs) I know we're getting really deep at this point, right? I'm not doing like reverse psychology or anything, but if she is losing the plot and immediately there's conflict that comes out of this, right? And maybe it is the fact that you have been clueless and it's the way she speaks to you that shakes you out and like, look around, let's get the plot here. Okay, the plot is we got to get the dishes done. But maybe the plot is no, we got to leave everything, and we got to spend time together as a family now because we haven't had a chance to. What is the plot? Are you leading your family? Are you going to make a decision and go for it? Or are you going to be like, oh, brother. Yeah, kids, come on, get your work done. Or I'm going, I'm going out back to have a beer. It's too much for me. You, the kids, yikes. The bathroom's calling my name. This is what I did when I was a kid. How many of you kids ever do this? Dinner is done. It is time to clear the table and clean up the kitchen. Oh, I got to go to the bathroom. (laughs) None of you ever do that, right? Well, okay, so Martha is wrong. And Jesus gently corrects her. So husbands, look at how Jesus responds. If she has lost the plot and she is too self-centered to be able to relax and to get back in the correct frame of reference of what is the goal here, what is going on, what are we trying to accomplish, okay? Often husbands lose the plot right then. That's what I'm trying to go with all of these excuses to get out or the oh brother response, right? Often right here, it is not the fact that there is a lot of work to do that causes husbands to lose the plot. It is their wife being a nag that causes men to flip their lid and lose the plot right then. And so, they lose track of the one necessary thing. And did you notice that's what Jesus says? One thing is necessary. One thing is necessary. He's bringing her back to the point, the goal, the reason that they're there. And so many men don't do that work of bringing things, whether it's just their wife or wife and children or wife and children and guests or church or small group or whatever it is, bringing everybody back to that point is hard work. And so if you lose track of the point right then because you're irritated and then you get angry and selfish, how come I'm always having to do work of bringing everybody back to the point? Now you've lost the point, right? Right? Jesus gently corrects her, both about herself and about Mary, what's going on, what you're doing and what Mary's doing. Let's learn from what he says, and he says one thing is necessary. Jesus is the one thing that's necessary. Now, that sounds like a Sunday school answer, I know. But think about it. We just got done... Jesus, the Lord and Savior, traveling around by foot. She's practicing hospitality because she knows that's the one thing, right? She's friends with Jesus. She knows who he is. She's the one who says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Why? Because she knows. She has faith, but she, but she gets lost, right? Martha has forgotten the one thing that is necessary. Thus, she is practicing hospitality wrongly at that point. And this is possible. This is possible for us to do good things in bad ways. And then, the ba- and then they're not good things. When you do them in bad ways, they're not good things anymore. You guys know this, right? You can do the right thing for the wrong reason, and it sucks. You can do the wrong thing for the right reason, also sucks. You do the right thing for the right reason, now we're talking. Now we're actually getting something done. And so she's practicing hospitality wrongly and she misjudges Mary as well. Practicing hospitality wrongly, what does that mean? Distracted, worried, bothered by many things, contrasted with the one thing necessary. Everybody knows there's a lot of work that goes along with hospitality, right? When you let the work become the point, You've lost the pot. What is the point of hospitality? The point is the other, the others, the other person, right? And so if the work is serving them, great. If the work is serving you, pause, ask yourself, do I need to do this now, right? You you see how hospitality, it's very easy for us to... Flow seamlessly from serving them into serving ourselves. You you know that making people comfortable, the dishes and stuff getting out of the way is part of that, right? And then it's like, well, I don't want to deal with all the rest of this junk tomorrow. So now I'm gonna leave the person and I'm going to worry about serving me for the next half hour, okay? Seamless switch into cleaning the rest of the kitchen, right, and ignoring the person, no longer serving them. It's so easy to practice hospitality wrongly. But she also misjudges Mary. She thinks Mary is selfish and lazy. The reality is that Mary has chosen the good part, not selfishly, not like taking the biggest cookie off the plate. Now, I still do like cookies a lot. Any of you kids like cookies a lot? Uh, any of you adults really like cookies a lot? OK. So you, do, do you still pay attention to which one has the most chocolate chips and which one is the biggest and has lots of chocolate chips? Not the biggest, but with like two chocolate chips in it. right? You got to do the calculus there. It's kind of, but you're paying attention, right? Okay. Now, now Mary has chosen the good part is what Jesus says. And, and this, isn't, this can be where we think like, oh yeah, she chose the best cookie for herself and so nobody else gets it. Martha's stuck doing all the service. Right? You see how that's what we, that's, I think that's our natural reaction to Mary has chosen the good part, Martha gets the dregs of the cup. The cookie with no chocolate chips. How does that happen? No. It's not like taking the biggest cookie off the plate or the last cookie off the plate. Rather, it's something a little bit different. I want to think about it like this. It's, it's more like she's delighting in eating a wonderful piece of cake while everybody else is eating their vegetables. Okay, now that's a strange thought, right? Who does that? That's kind of rude. Well, maybe. It's easy at least to see why Martha gets jealous of her, right? Partly she's jealous because she's not doing work. Partly she's jealous because she sees what what Mary has that's good. But Mary isn't taking away from what anybody else does or doesn't get to do. Martha could also sit down. Martha felt that Mary was taking away from what she could get, but that's because she had forgotten the one thing. If she had remembered the one thing, then she would have been able to get it. Now, I have... Other examples here, you, it's like watching a movie together. Mary is sitting contentedly enjoying the movie. Martha keeps leaving to get snacks, to go to the bathroom, and she's missing the movie. You're missing the movie. Sit down and, and enjoy the movie, right? You've, you've forgotten the point, but, there, but somebody spilled cheese dip on the floor. i got to clean it up now. Just sit down and enjoy the movie, right? But who cares about a movie compared to Jesus Christ in the flesh and in your home? Sit and listen to him. It's very easy for us to lose track of the point with hospitality. Maybe the point is to enjoy an evening with your friends. Hospitality allows that. And improved hospitality improves everybody's enjoyment. So you do more work, right? And everything gets better. Until it doesn't. When I was in college, I was part of a small group in Nashville, Tennessee. And it would rotate around where it met in in various people's houses. And there was one house that I pulled up to. And it had this glorious stone awning or stone structure that you could pull through in their circular drive. And two lane drive. Um, it was on the golf course, the, the country club. You could walk out the back door and the dining room. I'll just say we were with, there, was, there were silver goblets at every place setting and nobody could enjoy anything. And it wasn't because everything was wealthy. It was because they couldn't enter into the point. Everything had to be perfect. The, the, now, the husband understood and had not lost track of the point. And I'm not trying to pick on you women, okay? But, but in this case, the husband had kept the point and he was like, guys, let's, let's go outside. I've got a cooler out here and we can just like actually relax and talk. But in here, we're stuck. He didn't say that, but he was just desperate to get out so that we could remember the point. Can you imagine if the president came to your house? I mean, can you imagine if a prophet is coming to town and you're hosting him in your house and you're distracted and you're not listening to his message from God? What? He's a prophet from the Lord. His whole point of existence is to bring you the message of the Lord. You're hosting him in your house. Could you listen to the message? The message is here. This is Jesus, right? Or maybe it's the high priest, and he's going to give his blessing to you and your household. And you're like, oh, wait, wait, wait. I got to run, take care of the. No, he's giving you the blessing. Right now. Receive the blessing from the high priest. It's glorious. Or maybe the king is touring your village and he stops and turns to look at you and give you some instructions. Kings can do that kind of thing, just tell you what to do, you know. You're wondering whether there's enough coffee left for him and wishing you had gotten out the gourmet stuff this morning. And you're, what did he tell me to do? You lost the point. And Jesus is the prophet, the priest, and the king, all wrapped up in one. And Martha forgot the point. Have I repeated myself enough today? It's true, nothing is too good for him. And if you're serving each other, the more you like the person or the more important they are, the more you could do. You could even buy silver goblets. It's not that there's too much of a good thing for Jesus, right? That's not the problem. And I hope this helps you just, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to fill your head so full of the proper understanding of what's going on and what the problem was with Martha that you just forget your normal, immediate interpretation of this passage, which is that it's like, you know, you've got to have a balance between how much work you do and No, there's nothing too good for Jesus. There's not such a thing as doing too much work for him either, right? Mary herself performs service to Jesus at one point by anointing his feet with expensive perfume. Not in this story. She does so in emphasis of the point at that time. While many people at that point think that she has lost the point they condemn her for using this expensive ointment on her feet because, doesn't she know, it could have been sold and the money could have used, been used to serve the poor. And she's like, no, I have Jesus. You all have Jesus. This is why you practice hospitality. As long as that is why you are practicing hospitality, you haven't lost the point. You have Jesus. Jesus is the one thing that's, what I, that's, that's necessary. That's why I started with that. And so, Jesus is not going to take away what Mary has. When Martha says, come on, tell her what to do. And Jesus, no, I am not taking away me from her. And sometimes, when you are keeping track of the point in your own home, the thing that's necessary is for you to keep cuddling with your little one, and to just say, no, he's not going to bed yet. I need more time with him. He needs more time with me. But he's going to be missing, he's going to be some mess tomorrow and there's also dishes and there's blah, 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 No. No, this is important. I'm not taking away what the one thing that's necessary right now. Jesus isn't going to take away what Mary has. And what Mary has is not introspection and rest rather than work that's not what Mary had you you know what I mean by introspection right that's the that's the whole like sitting at the coffee shop with your Bible open thinking deep thoughts with Jack Handy you know or with whoever has actual inspirational quotes that you like I find his quotes fairly inspirational It reminds me how silly most inspirational quotes are but no Mary doesn't have introspection instead of service. There is obviously a contrast between Mary and Martha, but it is a mistake to see it as the choice to serve versus the choice to sit and listen. So there are two sides of Martha's error. One, being like Martha, trying to do too much, losing track of the point by serving, trying to do too much. And the second side to Martha's error that I want to warn you about is that if you think the bar is Martha's level of service, so you don't bother hosting Jesus at all. That would be a major mistake, wouldn't it? My house isn't clean enough. Therefore, I will not host. Therefore, I will not practice hospitality. Wait a minute. Really? I mean... Throw some stuff in the closet and let's move on, right? But I only have, and I don't have, and there's no place for, and uh, now really, what's the one point? What is the point here? Just serve, it's okay. But they might judge, they're going to think that, no, 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 what's the one point? What's the one point? How easy it is for us to think that Martha's bar is the correct bar. And then, instead of doing it, we just don't do it. I want you to see that both are possible if you're thinking like Martha. Feasts are meant to be eaten and enjoyed, and if they are beautiful and that makes it more enjoyable, fine. If the house is clean and that makes it better, great. If the work of making it beautiful makes it not enjoyable, then what is the point? Or if it prevents you from doing it at all, you've really lost the point. How often we forget the main thing in life. Okay, I'm going to end with one more illustration, okay? And that is, I went to, when I was probably 14, I went up to, to uh, Canada. No, no, no. No, just to Detroit. Almost to Canada. Detroit, for the auto show. Have you guys ever been to the auto show in Detroit? Anybody? No? Okay, it's a big one. It's a really big one. Anybody ever been to a car show here? Maybe a classic car show? Or I've been to several kinds of car shows, one that had uh, rat rods, very different from a classic car show. And uh, you know what all car shows have in common? What you do with the car is you look at it. Now, I know some of you might disagree with me, but I'm just going to say, in my mind, cars have a point. And it is to ride in them, not to look at them. I'm not saying looks don't have any bearing. They they can look cooler and not cool. The Prius looks just not cool, right? But what is the point? If you go to a car show and you don't get to ride in the cars, Someone has lost the point, in my opinion, and I've been to several of them. Is it that easy for us to lose track of the point of cars? It, it really is. It's that easy. It's that easy for us to lose track of the point in all kinds of areas of our lives, that we begin to make it all about one like, look. look at it. Does that have an engine in it? I don't know. Yeah, it does. Let's open it. Yeah, OK, it has an engine. Great. Does it work? I don't know. Can we try that? No. It's on carpet here in the middle of a building. <laughs> I'm gonna give you another illustration. I, you know, ch- chocolate chips and cookies and me, it's, I clearly love sugar. When I was a kid, we would go out and we would go around for Halloween and we'd get candy. Or at Easter, we'd have, and, and I'd end up with this bag of candy. Have you guys ever done, have ever kids ever ended up with a bag of candy? You like candy? There's two kinds of people. There's people who eat that candy, and then there's me, and I don't eat that candy. I hoard that candy, and I hide it under my bed. And three months later, all the chocolate is yucky, and all of the, well, it's all yucky. The, by the time you eat the, uh, the hard candies, they're soft, the moisture has gotten in them, you know. Now, someone has lost the point. If candy is yummy and it's meant to be eaten, but you'd never eat it because it's like, but then I wouldn't have it. Well, then you don't, by the time you eat it, you don't enjoy it, right? If I lose the point that easily just with a bag of candy, do you lose track of the point of life, of your family, of an evening? Do you lose track of Jesus when you're at work? What is the point of me doing this job? Why am I here? I know some of you guys work at the Toyota plant, putting cars. Why am I doing this? I'm doing the same thing every 60 seconds. I don't understand what the point is. Are you serving Jesus there? Then you haven't lost the point. Okay. So let's not lose the point. And I hope now that when you think of Mary and Martha, you don't think, The point of that story is don't work so hard. Mary keeps track of the one important thing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you know that we so often lose track of you. We forget the point. We serve and worry and get distracted about so many cares and things that We forget you. Father, help us to remember you like Mary, to sit at your feet, to enjoy and rest in your presence, wherever we are and whatever is going on around us. And help us, Father, to receive the blessing that comes from being in your presence, sitting at your feet, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.